place. We give you honor. We give you first place in this place, Holy Ghost, to have your way this day in our hearts. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, let's give him another shout. Come on. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, why don't you turn to somebody and tell them how glad you are to see them in God's house this morning. Wonderful. Hallelujah. It's good to hear the life of God in God's people. It really is. So good to be with one another. And I trust you've been having a good week. How many people have been having a good week here this morning? I tell you, it's wonderful when Jesus is at the center of our lives every day is a great experience. It's just wonderful to get up every morning and give thanks to Him and just see how the day will unfold. There's nothing like having Jesus at the center of our lives in the days in which we live. You know, you listen to millions across our world and many newscasters and commenters are calling it the great resignation or the big quit. I tell you something now, the Holy Ghost inside of you never resigns. The Holy Spirit inside of you never quits. You're more than a conqueror. Through Christ, you strengthens you. Greater is He that lives inside of you than that old spirit of the world. We're not quitting. We're not resigning. We're going in. Hallelujah. We're going over. We're going above, not beneath. Because Jesus is at the center of our hearts. And it's wonderful to know that even in these days in which we live, when the world seems to be falling apart, when the world seems to be reaching here, we have been born for such a time as this to shine a light to speak God's Word and to be His people in the earth and to be what He wants us to be where He has positioned us in our workplace. My God, I don't want to work from home. I want to get into the workplace to shine for Jesus, to be around as many people that I can be around so that I can be that sweet aroma of His presence in the world. Hallelujah. I'm not sitting back, sitting in my house, locking the doors to find work on the internet. My God, let's get into the workplace and fulfill the great commission that Jesus has given us. He didn't say stay at home. He said go into all the world. That means into your workplace. We should be running as God's people back to work, not looking to stay at home. Hallelujah. I don't know where that came from, but it was down in there. I tell you, you should be volunteering, child of God, volunteering, tagging on your employer's coattails. Please, can I come back to work? The Holy Ghost inside of you 
wants expression and life, and he wants to reach people. Spirit of this world might be resigning, but we're not resigning and we're not quitting. Hallelujah. We're rising up in the Spirit of God to be the people that he wants us to be in the world in which we live. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, I'm excited this morning to start a new series of messages that we're going to call Fresh Focus Thinking. And through these uh, series of messages, I believe in the weeks to come that the Holy Spirit is going to help us to adjust and change areas of our thinking that could be detrimental to our lives. And at the same time, He's going to bring into being new, fresh, focus thinking in relation to God's Word and how it applies to our lives and our living. Because the Holy Spirit wants to enrich our lives. He doesn't want any one of us to endure life. You might have been enduring life. You might know others who are enduring life. It is not God's will for any one of us to endure life. There are times where we go through seasons of endurance, seasons where we have to persevere. But even amidst all of that endurance, that hardship, and even amidst those dark seasons of perseverance, there's joy for the believer because God's life is in our lives. He's going to help us to address ways of thinking that may be detrimental to our lives, I believe, in this season because he wants to enrich us. He really does. A man once said, the ceiling of one man's life is the floor that another man stands on. The ceiling one man lives under is the floor another man stands upon. His point was simple yet profound. The very ceiling you're living under can become the floor that you walk on when you're prepared to walk up the steps to next level living. It's wonderful, you know. It really is. When the ceiling you've been living under becomes the floor that you suddenly walk on. And there are many times like this for all of us in our experience with God. Times where God breaks the ceiling that's over us and enables us to stand on that very ceiling that we formerly lived under. I believe that that is going to be a season for many of us at this present time. Self-imposed ceilings, self-made ceilings, those ceilings that others have forced us to live under. God, by His Spirit, is going to enable us to find the stairway up onto a new floor so that the very ceiling that we once lived under is going to be now the floor that we stand upon. And for that to happen, it's going to take faith in God's Word and a fresh focused thinking to begin it. You're going to be very 
a part of it. God's not, we're going to see this morning, God's not going to have to do hardly anything in this process. You're going to have to put your faith to work in what God has said to see it apprehended in your life experience. As many of us know here, the Bible has a lot to say about thinking well. How have you been thinking recently? Have you been thinking well? Is your mind healthy in its perspective about life? Are you thinking wholesome thoughts, good thoughts, imaginations that glorify God? Or is your mind and your imagination locked into this and other things like it? You fill your mind and your time with things that break apart and erode and contradict the Word of God. I tell you, it's time to stand up. It's time to take a hold of your mind. It's time to examine what you allow into the doorway of your life. Stand as, as the gatekeeper of your mind because you are responsible for what comes into your life. You are, not God, not anybody else. You are responsible for what comes into your life, for what comes into your mind, for the thoughts and the imaginations that you entertain. You're responsible for them. Take responsibility for it. Take the opportunity seriously to manage and govern your mind well. And I'm telling you, when you take God's word and you meditate on it and you're serious about it, you will be amazed at the former ceilings that you've lived under, that you've settled with, how those restrictions are broken and become a means to support your feet, Amen. not to impede your growth. Hallelujah. It's time, church. Take God's word serious. God's word has much to say about thinking well. And thinking well is greatly dependent on the thoughts that we entertain in our minds. What thoughts we allow in and what thoughts we choose to keep out to a large extent, makes up the experience of our lives. Thousands of years ago, King Solomon confirmed this when he spoke about the importance of thinking. Listen to his words. Timeless words. In Proverbs 23, verse 7, this wise king speaks from his wisdom in saying this. For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Don't blame anybody else for your life. Don't blame anybody else for your experience of life and for how your days unfold. Look no further than yourself. That's what Solomon is saying. These are really amazing words because they sum up life Completely. Solomon here is showing us exactly how life works. It's not hard. It's very si simple. The instructions are plain for all to see. It's not complicated. It's very simple. 
For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. What's hard to understand about that? Life was not, to Solomon, just a series of random chance events and circumstances that we have no control over. No, Solomon's point was that we create the life we live by the thoughts we entertain in our hearts and in our minds. Solomon understood that the thoughts that we repeatedly think are the very ingredients that create and construct the lives that we live. When Solomon said, for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. He was showing us very clearly that the immaterial thoughts that we entertain and embrace in our minds go into making up the material experiences of life that we live out on a day-by-day basis. That's how powerful thoughts are. We must never forget that. Our thoughts are not just given expression in our mind by chance, as many would want us to believe. No, our thoughts are given life by choice. And you and I are involved in the choice. It's not a matter of chance. It's a matter of choice. That's what Solomon is telling us. And that's what is confirmed repeatedly throughout the scriptures. So it's very important that we are directing and managing our minds well. Because immaterial thoughts that we think can be the very building blocks that are used to build our lives And they become the very experiences, the real life experiences that we all live out. Now this morning, after that little introduction, we're going to look at a man called Asaph. And as we look at Asaph, we're going to see how his life moved exactly in line with the direction of his strongest thoughts. We'll see the immaterial thoughts in his mind quickly become the material experiences he lived out. We'll see the ceiling that this man was living under and how that ceiling became the floor he eventually stood on when he took, when he took responsibility for his state of mind and how he was thinking. When you do a little homework about Asaph, you see that he was a godly man. A man who served under King David. He was a poet, a psalmist, and a prophet. But in Psalm 77, Asaph very honestly tells us about a time in his life where things were falling apart. He was a He was at a place of great despair, a time where he lost all focus and correct perspective. Everything for Asaph in Psalm 77 was shrouded under darkness. There was no bright color anymore. 
the colors of joy and peace and right perspective had gone from this man. All excitement and expectation for life had drained away from this man. Like it's drained away for so many people in our world. Drained away. No excitement. No expectation for life. My God, when believers get out of bed in the morning, they shouldn't be dragging themselves out. <laughs> Leaving their head laying on the pillow as their feet hit the ground. We should jump out of bed with a spring in our step. With the life of God pulsating in us. Hallelujah. You will. You'll be jumping out of bed. Saying thank you Jesus. It's Monday morning. There should be an expectation for life. An, ex an excitement for living. I tell you, do not fall prey to the apathetic, lazy spirit that's in our time. Don't fall prey to it. Don't receive your orders from that lazy, old, devilish spirit. Amen. Don't do it. I tell you, it'll be the death of you. And I'm not talking physically. I'm talking mentally, emotionally. It'll drain your expectation and excitement for life that God wants you to have by His Spirit. Don't fall prey to it. If it comes up on the news, if it comes up on a feed, I tell you what, throw some out of the TV. Don't, don't drink that poison. Are you nuts or what? You're listening to the news for when you've got the good news. Come on, church. Asaph's life was shrouded under darkness. All of the color had gone. And the sharpness of what should have been a bright, glorious picture of Asaph's life in God had become a picture of doom and gloom. Listen to Asaph's focus over the first nine verses of Psalm 77 as he zooms in on himself and zooms God out of the picture he portrays. Psalm 77 verses 1 through to 9 says this, I cried out to God with my voice, to God with my voice, and he gave ear to me. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My hand was stretched out in the night without ceasing. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. You hold my eyelids open. That's why he couldn't get up on a Monday morning. He's blaming God for holding his eyelids open. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. You hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I meditate within my heart and my spirit makes diligent search. Will the Lord cast off forever? 
And will he be favorable no more? Has his mercy ceased forever? Has his promise failed forevermore? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his tender mercies? That is a painful and pitiful recital of the private thoughts and feelings of Asaph's heart. We're never told what Asaph's trouble was specifically, but the weight and burden on his emotions are clear. You can hear, the, hear it all the way through those nine verses. This man was experiencing deep disappointment. The wonderful thing about the Word of God is that it never glosses over human problems, ever. The Scriptures plunge us right into the heart of people's circumstances. It holds nothing back. It bears all, irrespective how despairing the picture might be as to how people are feeling and what they're going through. Why? Because God wants to teach us by His Spirit through His servants how to live well, think well, and experience all of the life that He has for us. No, nothing's held back in this picture. We're brought into a very honest picture of a man that's despairing about life and despairing about his life. As we listen to Asaph initially, we can be left feeling sorry for him. Because he's being consumed by his feelings. And he's full of high emotion. And it's all boiling and bubbling over within him. Creating questions that don't go anywhere. Creating questions that have no answer. And after reading what we've read, we can be left asking the questions, well, why isn't God answering Asaph? He's in so much inner turmoil. This guy's got so much grief. This guy is immersed in confusion. Why doesn't God just jump in? Why doesn't God just rush in? We know him to be a deliverer. We know him to be a strong tower. We know him to be more than enough. We know that God is the one that opened the Red Sea, led four million of his people through, or two million of them with children and everything else. They went through on dry land, and then for 40 more years all the way through the wilderness, God did miraculous supernatural acts to intervene on behalf of his people every time they came to a despairing moment. God is a God who intervenes. And when we listen to Asaph, we can be left with questions asking, why doesn't God intervene? Why doesn't God help this man? And some people would feel justified 
to ask such questions as to why God did not intervene and God did not act on this man's behalf until we realize that this awful torment that Ahzaf was in was actually self-inflicted and self-created by Asaph himself. Now that's important to understand. God didn't create this issue for this man. Asaph created it himself. This was self-inflicted. Asaph was overcome in Psalm 77, but the worst thing about it all was that Asaph was solely responsible for his out-of-focus thinking that led to his poor condition of life. How do we know that? How do we know that Asaph was responsible for his poor state of mind? How do we know that Asaph was responsible for his poor conditions and circumstances of life. Well, in the first nine verses that we've read of Psalm 77, there's over 20 personal pronouns in reference to self and 11 references to God that leave any hearer with a negative illusion about a loving God. If we only had the first nine verses of Psalm 77 to gain an understanding about God's character and feeling towards us, we'd be left with a very distorted picture about a loving God that never fails. A picture of a God who never listens, who is distant, who ignores his hearers. A God who is cold towards our troubles. If only we ever looked at the first nine verses of Psalm 77, we would get a picture of a God who never wants to be with us. But that's not God. That's, what's, that's Asaph's picture of God. That's not the God that you know. That's not the God that I know. Yet this was the picture that Asaph was creating and zooming in on and magnifying in his mind's eye. In verse 1, let me go through it with you quickly. In verse 1, Asaph believes that God hears his voice, but is unresponsive and unwilling to act. Then in verse 2, Asaph expends a lot of energy and effort in, a, in an attempt to get God's intervention and in an attempt to get God's attention and response. He talks about stretching out his hands all night without ceasing. And that sounds very spiritual, but it's not at all. Because stretching out your hands without ceasing did him no good at all. Because Asaph admits to refusing any form of comfort from anyone around him and even from God himself. He wasn't in the right mind, in the right frame of mind to even receive from God. So all of his effort 
and all of his stretching out of hands all night without ceasing, all of his lament and moan did him no good because he was not in the right frame of mind to receive comfort from God. In verse 3, Asaph spirals deeper into despair as the very memory of God now troubled him. Imagine that. Pointing out that God had held his eyes open all night. Then when Asaph finally reviews his past in verses 5 and 6, it just gives him ammunition to aim and fire out at God. And finally, with his out-of-focus mind, Asaph in verse 7 through to verse 9 asks six questions that are loaded with accusation that he has no answer for. Listen to them from verse 7 to 9. We've already read them. Will the Lord, he's questioning God within himself, will the Lord cast off forever? And will he be favorable no more? Has his mercy ceased forever? Has his promise failed forevermore? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in his anger shut up his tender mercies? Question after question that have no answer. And not even God himself will answer any of these questions. Why? Because they have no relevance to him. No relevance to God at all. God doesn't at any point try to defend his unfailing love. No. What God does do is he allows Asaph to boil over and over and over with these self-examining questions about God. Because God wants Asaph to be confronted and challenged by his own inner thoughts and reasonings. You see, Asaph was not seeing things as they were, but as he was. Asaph was not seeing things as they were. Asaph was seeing things as he was. This is where it gets good. Because at the lowest possible moment, when the picture for Asaph couldn't be any more out of focus, Asaph suddenly realizes why everything is so distorted and hopeless in his mind. In verse 10, Asaph reaches a point of realization where he openly confesses these words. Verse 10, they're very important. Take notice of them. And I said, this is my infirmity. This is my infirmity. And it's in those four little words of confession that everything suddenly changed about this man. And for this man, in his mind's eye, and in his perspective, the first nine verses are full of complaint from beginning to end. But great transformation occurs when Asaph 
takes responsibility for his own state of mind. He recognizes that he alone is responsible for his poor state of life. Nobody else but Asaf himself. This is my infirmity. That's the phrase that was vital in Asaf's freedom. That's the phrase that was vital in the release of new life. That's the phrase, this is my infirmity, that became the hinge on the door that opened to another dimension for this man to live in. This is my infirmity. Are the words of a man who uncovers the source of all of his problems, all of his troubles, all of his sorrows. He gets to the root cause within himself. Up until this point of time, Asaph had just been overcome by symptoms. He puts a plaster on one symptom and then it just breaks out that old symptom in a brand new area of life. Have you ever felt like that? You conquer fear in one area. You think, I got the victory. But no, you haven't got the victory. You've just put a plaster on the symptom for a few weeks. And then suddenly you find that same old vile fear breaking out in a brand new area that you never thought it would break out in. And then you bang a plaster on it. You know, and you you think, yeah, I got the victory. And you come to church and you sing with the people of God. I've done it. So I know what I'm talking about. Done it too many times. And you put a plaster on that thing. You join the, I'm talking about myself now, right? You, yes, thank you, Jesus. And I preach to all of you about the victory. We got the victory. Hallelujah. And then that old wicked fear again rises up and just breaks out and bursts through in a new area of your life. But Asaph had finally discovered the root cause of why he was at such a poor state in his mind and a poor place in his life. This is my infirmity. That's the phrase that was vital in Asaph's freedom and the release into new life. Up until that point, he had just been overcome with symptoms. But here, here, he gets to the source of all of his problems. His problem is not God. His problem is not people or external circumstances. His problem is himself. The man that looks in the mirror every morning. That's what he has to recognize. That's what he has to take responsibility for. That's what he has to address. My problem is myself. It's not my wife. It's not my husband. It's not my children. And it's not my employer. It's me. Oh Lord. Standing in the need of prayer. It's me. Oh me. Oh Lord. Standing in the need of prayer. What a wonderful revelation. What a wonderful 
moment of self-revelation that this man comes to. And when Asaph used this word infirmity, he was referring to his poor state of mind that he descended into mentally. He was weak, feeble, and at a place of inner disease. Have you ever been at a place of inner disease? Not just for a day, not just for a week, and not just for a few months, but a few years. Have you ever felt that inner disease? It is a disease. It's an emotional disease. Day after day after day, month after month after month, and even year after year, you just feel it trailing and dragging like a ball and chain around your ankle. We've all felt it. And, and some of us have gone through it to a greater extent than others Asaph's infirmity was in the way, listen, in the way that he had been thinking. He'd allowed his mind to wander and entertain thoughts that were no good. And his infirmity of thinking had developed over a long period of time. You don't just wake up one morning like this. You don't address an infirmed issue in your mind as a result of just seeing it arrive on day one. No, this was a prolonged period in this man's life that had gained speed and power and magnitude over years that had gone unaddressed, unchallenged, unconfronted, and therefore unchanged. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, and I've said this many times before, but I'll say it again because it's a powerful insight, a powerful revelation. He said this, have you ever realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you listen to yourself rather than speak to yourself? powerful have you realized yet that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you listen to yourself far more than you speak to yourself and this psalm perfectly illustrates that insight in the first nine verses Asaph is listening to himself and we see him descending down and down and down and down into a despairing state. And any onlooker looking at that pitiful sight would want to sympathize. But God gives him no sympathy. Because this man had brought all of this turmoil and despair upon himself as an act of his own will listening to himself instead of speaking to himself 
And that's why he was in this despairing place. But suddenly, when there was an adjustment in the lens of his mind, and Asaph recognizes his infirmity and starts speaking to himself instead of listening to self, change, listen, change is instantaneous. Instantaneous. It's amazing. Asaph doesn't go on now a long road to recovery. As soon as he starts to speak to himself as an act of his will, empowered and anointed by the Holy Spirit, change is instantaneous. Are there areas in your life that you want to see instant chain, instantaneous change and transformation in? Of course there are. There's areas in all of our lives. I tell you now, take the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, in your hand and start speaking to those areas. Start speaking to yourself and you will see change. You won't go on a long road to recovery. The joy of the Lord will become your strength. You'll rise up as more than a conqueror through the very power and Spirit of Christ Jesus that lives in you, he will give you the strength. He really will. And change. I believe, my God, I believe in instantaneous transformation. I believe even though we may have gone downhill year after year after year, the moment that you address that and with the Word of God, you can see instantaneous transformation in your mind, in your life, in your experience. I believe it with all of my heart. And there are roads to recovery. I accept it. And sometimes I've been on those roads to recovery where God is, is, is a restorer. He's a restorer and he's taking time over the very precious details of our lives. There is sometimes in areas of our lives a long road of recovery. But I'm telling you now, let's never negate the power of God when we receive it by faith to see instantaneous change in our lives. It doesn't matter how young we are. It doesn't matter how old we are. It does not matter. As soon as we take hold of the Word of God, that Word starts to work in our lives and we become the beneficiaries of it. Asaph is not on a long road to recovery. No, he's about to see instantaneous change in his life because he recognizes what his infirmity is. Listen to how Asaph speaks to himself in the remaining moments. As we close up this morning, listen to how he speaks to himself, how he addresses himself as a result of correcting and bringing change to his infirmed state of mind. Because the picture is completely different from verse 10 through to verse 20. Asaph now focuses on the greatness of God. It's interesting. It's interesting. After all of the sufferings of Job, just before all of the fortunes of Job 
were restored. What does God do? Shows him his greatness. He shows him that he is sovereign. He shows him that he is in control. And instead of Job asking God questions, God asked Job a few questions that he couldn't answer, that none of us could answer. But before the fortunes of Job were restored, God comes and unfurls his majesty. And when you get an intervention of God and you begin to see his majesty and you see his glory and you begin to, you, you begin to magnify him and you begin to think about the attributes of his character and the wonder of his presence and his goodness and his mercy and his grace, I'm telling you now, as you do that, prosperity is ahead. Job's fortunes were restored. And he had far more than when he first started as a result of God just unfurling his goodness, unfurling his majesty, unfurling his nature, unfurling who he was. And that's what happens here. In the remaining 10 verses... Asaph doesn't focus on self. He focuses on the greatness of God. He no longer magnifies his inability to cope. He magnifies his, he magnifies, he magnifies God and everything changes. Let me read just the remaining 10 verses to you. I'm going to ask the musicians to come as I do this. Listen to his words. And I said this, this is my infirmity, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember your word wonders of old. I will meditate also of all your work and talk of all, all your doings. Your way, O oh God, is in the sanctuary who is so great a God as our God? You are the God that does wonders. You have declared your strength among the people. You have with your arm redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you. They were afraid. The depths also were troubled. And he's referring here to the Red Sea that the children of Israel stood before. And those waters, that sea, caused over two million people to go into panic. As it would have any one of us. And they didn't know where to turn, they didn't know where to go. But God turned up. And Asaph remembers that the very waters that the children of Israel were afraid of. We're afraid of God. There is no challenge that can stand up against the God that we serve. The God that is our friend and father. The waters saw you. They were afraid. The depths also were troubled. 
The clouds poured out water. The sky sent out a sound. Thine arrows also went abroad. The voice of your thunder was in the heaven. The lightnings lightened the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way is in the sea. And your path is in the great waters. And your footsteps are not known. You lead your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. He starts his psalm in verse 1 crying out to God. It's a pitiful recital over nine verses full of questions, full of self. And he believes that God's against him. He believes that yeah, God hears him, but God doesn't want anything to do with him. He believes that God's forgotten. He believes that God will never be merciful. And it's a recital of pain, a recital of despair, a recital that describes a picture that does not have God in. But look how he ends in verse 20. You lead your people. You don't leave your people. You lead your people like a flock by the hand of Moses. Amen. Asaph had directed his mind in fresh focus thinking. Because now he was magnifying God. For Asaph, the road had been long. The road had been painful. But the road that had been long and painful was transformed. The moment that he confronted that infirmity within his mind, change and transformation came. And God, listen, God, this might shock you, might surprise you. God did nothing at all. He didn't deliver him. He didn't answer a prayer. He didn't even respond to this man. No, this man had a sudden change in his mind where he saw what his infirmity was, addressed it, took action over it, and went from the ceiling that he was crouching under to find the, the stairway onto the floor that he stood on. Amen. A new level of life by addressing, addressing the thoughts of his mind with the word, the word of God. Let me just say this. There's never going to be an automatic pilot button that you can press so your mind 
can just do its own thing and you can take a rest. They may be coming up with self-driving vehicles, but your mind is never going to be self-driven. You have to firmly take the steering wheel of your mind as an act of your will, anointed by the Spirit of God, and direct it, direct it to where God wants it to go. Recently, I've been finishing with stories about my bike. <laughs> I'm going to finish with another. That's right, Alison. Where's Alison? I heard Alison's voice then. Hey, come on, give Alison. Do you know what? Alison's a fantastic girl, fantastic lady, and Faye. They're such a blessing to us. And every, every single week, right? I'm sure this week will not be an exception. She writes out the sermon faithfully. This young lady, she writes out the sermon faithfully and comes and gives it to me or gives it to Faye. Isn't that a blessing? I'm sure some of you have had a, a little note from Alison and they're always filled with blessings. And Alison's been coming here. I'm going to embarrass her now. But you know what? Alison has been coming here for many, many, many years. Do you know? And um, her dad, Ken, used to come as well. And he passed away. And um, I've seen this young lady. Do you know what? Irrespective, that was a great loss when her dad passed away, Ken. But do you know what? Even without her dad, and her dad's in heaven now. Dad's in heaven. But even without her dad, she's faithfully come. I've never heard from this young lady a bad remark about God, a bad remark about anybody else in this house. What a, what a wonderful character and nature to have. Great examples of people. Faith the same. They give me two mugs the other day. I don't know if they were telling me I was a mug. <laughs> they gave, do you know what? They give, me a, they give me a mug, right? And a card. And it said on it, fantastic brother in Christ. Amen. And they gave one to Faye, fantastic sister. Isn't that great? Wonderful. We got, do you know what? Wonderful one. And, and, you know, we, we've all got different characters. It's wonderful to be a part of such a great family. Honestly, now. I know I've been excited this morning. <laughs> but I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. I really, really do. Anyway, the story about my bike. You know, lots of occasions when I'm riding my bike, I'll get stuck in a rut. My wheel will get stuck in a rut. And I have to physically get off my bike and take it out of the rut. Otherwise, I'm going to stay in that rut for a long time. And that rut, lots of ruts have taken me over the handlebars, <laughs> thrown me off the sides, <laughs> into the bushes, everywhere. You've got to get out of the rut in order to ride. And it's like that, you know, in life. It can be hard. There can be ruts in our mind. Listen, I talk from experience. Too much experience. 
painful experience, experience that has cost me too much life. Listen, let's not waste another day. I've wasted life. I tell you this to help you. You waste life. You can't waste it. It's a gift. Don't live in the rut. Get the bike out of the thing and enjoy the ride, right? Take time to address any thought that is rut-like. And just prayerfully, listen, there, there are some thoughts, they're so habitual that we just, we, we go at them and they're like giants in our mind. They've gained power and they've gained strength. And now they have real control. And we'll talk about those as we go on. They gain, they, they, they've got control. Do you know what? When, when we're exhausted by those ways of thinking, when we, when we struggle in despair and we just, it's like a maze, I just can't get out of this way of thinking. God will deliver. He will. There are times where we have to recognize our, infir our infirmity. There are times when we have to recognize it and bring change, right? But there are times where God comes, where David said, listen, a different man with a similar experience, Asaph cried, to the, cried out to the Lord and God heard him, but nothing happened. Because Asaph had to address his infirmity in his mind. It was in the way of his thinking. But David said this. He said, I cried to the Lord. Watch. He answered me. He answered me. And he delivered me from all my fear. Why? Because David wasn't, David wasn't dealing with an infirmed mind. A mind that didn't believe a mind that had lost its faith in God. No, David was dealing with a very real, strong, demonic attack in the area of his mind, that spirit of fear, and God delivered him from all his fear. So there are times, and if you're struggling in your mind, you cannot, listen, I'm telling you, I'll tell you from experience, God will deliver you, he will speak to you, he will address that word, and then, then listen, You've got to take it. You've got to take it. You've got to believe it. You've got to stand on it. You've got to walk it out. And you've got to refuse to entertain any other thought because there will be many other thoughts that would want to come and contradict it. Amen? Amen. Listen, God's been on this service this morning. He's been on this service. And this word, not because I'm saying it, right? This word is from the Holy Spirit for all of us. Tabo confirmed it. Don't know if you noticed. Isaiah 26 verse 3, Tab, was it? Isaiah 26 verse 3. What was it? He could have come up here. He couldn't have actually. But you know what I'm saying? He could have come up here and said anything. The first scripture he referred to. He whose mind is stayed on Jehovah is kept in perfect peace. I said to Tabo, as he went down, I said, Tabo, you don't have to say a lot when it's anointed by God. You see, God is addressing the way he didn't know what I was going to speak about. God wants to help us because he doesn't want us enduring another day. He wants us getting up, enjoying, jumping out of bed. She's going to jump out of bed like a spring chicken tomorrow. <laughs> Jen's up for it as well. 
Let me pray. Father, I thank you today for your precious people. And Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, you know each and every one of our lives. Probably the biggest area that we would all agree that we struggle in is the area of our mind. It's how we think. And this is such an important area. This is such a, a, a precious thing that you've given us. Life is made by it. Life is formulated by it. As we think in our hearts, so are we. And there's lots of thoughts in our mind and in our hearts that go around every day that may be trying to take hold of us, that are damaging, that are detrimental to the way that we are living. For some of us in our young life, they're limiting us to what you want us to do and where you want us to go. Or it could be in our older years where we should be really thriving, where we should be really enjoying life. We feel this ceiling and this pressure. Lord, by your spirit, I pray that you would help each and every one of us to address any thought that might be detrimental to our life. That we would recognize any infirmed state of mind. And as we recognize it, Lord, we would stand up to it, not in our own strength, but in the strength and the power of your word provided by your spirit. And we would come into all of the new life that you have destined for us. Lord, I pray this over this precious body of people, the body of Christ. Holy Spirit, I ask it. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the endless love of God, and the eternal fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen.